welcome James up here. Come on, James. Thank you, and I do feel encouraged by the singing. Thank you. Good afternoon, once again. Um, I'm going to start off with a with a prayer. I always think that's useful, so that it no longer becomes me. It's hopefully God sort of saying what I really mean to say. Um, let us pray. Uh, dear Father, Lord, um, it is a great honour to come before you right now, Lord, to, to be able to share your word um, with the good people around me. I pray, Lord, that uh, these are no longer my words, but they're your words, and um, you can sort of really sort of impact upon the hearts of people in this congregation today, Lord. You are great, and I am not, and therefore I need you. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Um, we're going to we're going to be looking at Joshua today. So, if you'd like to sort of turn into Joshua, so you're prepared when I get to that point, where we'll be reading the scriptures. Um, most people ask or want a title to a sermon, um, and I'm not quite sure a lot of the time what, I, what title I should give a sermon, but um, I figure a question is, can be a good title, so it's, what's your problem? What's your problem? What's your problem? Um, everywhere we look, we see problems. There are big problems, and there are small problems. Problems in the world, problems in Europe, problems in the UK, problems in our city, in our church, in our home, and problems in our personal lives. I really struggle talking about my problems. You might think, why is that? Well, there can be so many problems at a given time, and so you kind of think, well, which one do I choose to talk about at this point in time? But it's really because I know that a problem is usually an opportunity. An opportunity to change. And so when I talk about a problem, I'm kind of thinking to myself, I need to be changing. Because I have problems. I do lack self-control from time to time. I get frustrated very quickly. And that can come across come across with a raised voice or um, with harsh words I do judge in my heart other people around me I look to others faults rather than my own I question my ability to lead my family from time to time thinking you know what do you want me to do God and the list goes on and it's not me beating myself up or wallowing in self-pity, that's not it. It's just the truth at a particular moment in time. So what is the source of most of the problems we have in our lives? It is the same as it was in the Garden of Eden. And I'm not going to talk about sin. as that encomp- I think when we mention the word sin, it can encompass so much... And it can put our backs up and we can think, wow, yeah, everybody sins. And I don't want to talk about that. What I want to talk about is disobedience. Disobedience to God. And the root of that being a lack of faith in God. You have to believe 
to follow wholeheartedly. I mean you really have to believe. You have to believe you've offered, you've been offered something incredible. Something quite wonderful. God's hand. God's grace. God's forgiveness. And a room in God's house. That's what we've been offered. If you get that, then you can follow with all your very being. Some 3,000 years ago, Israel had a problem. It had many problems over the years. But um, because of their unbelief, their disobedience to God, Israel was sentenced to 40 years wandering in the wilderness. What we're going to look at today is that eventful moment at the end of those 40 years whereby they faced a new problem. And we'll pick up the story in Joshua, chapter 1, verses 1 to 2. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the river Jordan into the land I'm about to give them to the Israelites the children of Israel are poised to enter into the land of Canaan that's a big moment 40 years in the wilderness and it comes to this one moment a river that's all that separates them they are ready to claim their inheritance of the promised land. However, before they can enter Canaan, they must first get past that one obstacle, the River Jordan. And you might be thinking, well, that's not too bad. I could do that. I could cross a river. If I had to, you know, the promised land is waiting. I can, yeah, rivers can be quite small. Normally, this would not have presented much of a problem since the Jordan was only 100 feet wide at Gilgal where they crossed. However, it seems that God always does things in such a way that no man can boast of having done them on their own. This crossing would be no exception. You see, God brought them to the Jordan River at the time of harvest. And in chapter 3, verse 15, it says, Now the Jordan is in flood during the harvest. Yes. And this... And yeah, when I picture a flood, I kind of think, Oh, you know, it just gently flows over the banks, that sort of thing. I think, it's not, it's not really a big deal. You can still sort of swim across. So, but this verse doesn't really convey the predicament they are in when you just read it like that. Because it wasn't just trickling over the sides type of flood. During the harvest time, the Jordan is likely to have swelled to an impassable width of over one mile wide. One mile wide. That's incredible from 100 feet. You know, that's over 50 times wider than it would normally have been when Israel arrived. Uh, A chap called Bartlett, who was... uh, who was there at the Jordan a number of years back, said, 
We were fortunate enough to see it in the state in which it is described in Joshua. Overflowing all its banks, that is, the whole line of its banks, the turbid stream rushed along like a mill race, and though it had fallen from its greatest height, the proper banks of the channel were invisible and indicated only by a line of oleanders and other shrubs and trees. I've got a little video we can sort of watch just to give you a bit of a feel. It's not going to show you the sort of width, but um, yeah, if you'd like to play that. That is the River Jordan at a time of flooding. It's not quite sort of gone over the banks fully in this particular stretch. But you can see the force of that river. It's not something that I would certainly attempt to cross. So there was no way they could cross the river on their own. Like the Israelites, we each have Jordans that we face from time to time. When we look at the obstacles that stand between us and spiritual victory in our own Canaan, we may feel that we will never be able to enter Canaan, enjoy the abundant life that Jesus promised. While it is true that I do not know all the obstacles that everybody in this room faces, I do know God is more than capable and willing to overcome the overwhelming and lead you to victory. I know that with certainty. I believe that. We will start the the story on the morning of the crossing. So So God said, you're going to go into the You're going to cross the River Jordan. You're going to get to the other side. Let's start off in Joshua chapter 3, verse 1. So this is the morning of the crossing. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to Jordan, where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God... And the Levitical priest carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits between you and the ark. Do not go near it. When it came for the people to move forward and cross Jordan, God gave them three instructions to ensure success. First, to watch him. Watch God. Notice that the Ark of the Covenant is mentioned a number of times in chapter 3. The Ark, you may remember, was a special place, a special piece of uh, tabernacle furniture that symbolized the presence and power of God. When the Ark was in the Holy of Holies, the glory of God rested upon it And it was the dwelling place of God. To Israel, it represented God's presence in the midst of his people. In other words, when God moved, they were to move with it. When God stopped, they were to do the same. 
And I think that's something that we need to have in our minds. When we face times of crisis, or when we need direction in life to learn, to learn what to do, we need to be sensitive to the movement of the Lord in and around us. It is a fact that God loves you, and that he will show you what he is doing. He's going to do that. The second point, follow God. When they saw the Ark of the Covenant move, they were to leave, as it says, leave your place and go after it. Not only were they to watch God, they were to move when he did. They were to pursue God. The lesson for us is that it's not enough to know what God is doing. There comes a time when you must leave your place and go after him. And this may require us leaving our comfort zones. Israel was about to follow the ark through a river that was over one mile wide. And I really can't imagine sort of being there thinking that's, that's the promised land over there. How do I get across? But God says you will cross to the other side. See, following God may not be the easiest thing you will do, but it will be the best thing you will do. If you expect to get past your obstacles and enter your Canaan, you must learn to follow God. And thirdly, from the passage, it talks about honouring God. Notice the Israelites are told to stay uh, 2,000 cubits back, that's about 3,000 feet behind the ark. This was so that they could easily see what was happening ahead of them. Uh, But also, the Lord wanted no one but the Levites near the ark. To get too close would have meant death. Although we have direct contact with God through Jesus' sacrifice, we must never be guilty of treating God like he is one of us. There must always be a holy reverence and a fear of the Lord in our hearts. We must never allow a spirit of familiarity cheapen our walk with the Lord. Regardless of what we go through, we are still nothing but sinners saved by his incredible grace. We need to put ourselves into perspective. We are not there alongside God we are under God he is the one that is capable of moving of doing great things with us but we've got to allow that continuing to read Joshua in verse 5 it says Joshua told the people consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you Joshua said to the priests take up the ark of the covenant and pass on ahead of the people So they took it up and went ahead of them. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel, so that you may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. Joshua said to the Israelites, Come here 
and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites and Jebusites. See the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then, choose twelve men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And as soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. Next, the people were told to sanctify themselves. This referred to being sure they were clean and holy as possible. They were to put away anything that was displeasing to the Lord. They were to examine themselves and get ready for the Lord to do something great for them. Unlike the Israelites, those of us who have accepted Jesus, as it says in Hebrews 10 verse 10, have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. But we must realize that many of the things that happen in our lives that prevent us from walking in a Christian victory are the results of the sin we hold on to. We need to free ourselves from sin and hand it over to God. This message to the Israelites reminded them that getting across the Jordan did not rest on their shoulders, but on the Lord's. It was his plan to get them over, and it was his problem. In these verses, um, he makes them a promise and tells them that he will bring them through in a powerful fashion. God here commits himself to bringing his people across their Jordan. All that Israel, all that, all that was required of Israel was that they trust God. If God could be trusted in those days to keep his promises, then he can be trusted today also. Often we are unable to get past the obstacles in our lives because we live a life that exhibits a deep lack of faith in the promises of God. How do I know? Because of the worry and doubt that marks the lives of the people of God. It marks my life from time to time. We worry about the future. We worry over material things. We worry over money. And yet Jesus says in Matthew, 20, in Matthew 6, verses 25 to 34, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that, if that is how God clothes the grass, the field which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? 
For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 to 7, it says, Do not be anxious about anything. In everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God will transcend all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The bottom line is this. The righteous will live by faith. As the Israelites needed a miracle, so we need to expect a miracle. He did then. He can do now. He was able all the way through the Bible and he's still able today. Regardless of circumstances, he is still God. And he still can. Just look over your own life. How many times has the Lord opened your Jordan already? He is all we need. He is still the same miracle working God that he always had been. Learn to expect miracles when you're dealing with God. And not just that, we need to remember what God has done. Let's continue in Joshua chapter 4 verse 19. On the tenth day of the first month, the people went up from the Jordan and camped at Gilgal on the eastern border of Jericho. And Joshua set up at Gilgal the twelve stones they had taken out of the Jordan. He said to the Israelites, In the future, when your descendants ask their parents, What do these stones mean? Tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over. He did this so that all the people of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. We need that same kind of monument to remember what God has done in our lives. When you've trusted him and when he's brought you through, never forget it. Build that monument in your heart. We will never forget it. Where it becomes part of your story, your testimony to God in your life, what he's capable of doing. And when the tough times come again, which they most certainly will with the majority of us, that's the time to look back at that monument to remember what God has done in your life. His faithfulness and of your faith. And know that what worked before will work again. I was finding it interesting with the Israelites. And um, when we read a story, it can lose its sort of gravitas. It can seem quite small. And you think, okay, it's just crossing a river. And you can say, okay, well, it's in flood. But when you start breaking it down, you can see what God's really about the miracle that he performs. And, uh, and even with the sort of the drying up of that river, it, it talks about, you know, it, it sort of creates a heap, heap of water upstream up to the point of a, a place called Adam. And that's 20 miles north 
of where they were. 20 miles worth of dryness in the river. Because we weren't talking about just a few Israelites crossing. We're talking about probably up to about 2 million. I mean, it talked about 40,000 soldiers, etc. You're talking about a huge number. That is the scope, what God was looking at to prove his greatness. So I'd encourage us when we read some of the stories to really sort of delve deeper into it because we'll discover something quite incredible. In conclusion, some of us are facing troubles as I speak right now. I want you to know you can cross over. Tell God about that Jordan you are facing. Allow him to get you past There is a place of victory where you can shout in spite of your troubles. The first step is getting there. The first step in getting there is dealing with what is keeping you out, your Jordan, and giving it over to God. It may be sin, it may be some person, it may be some trial. The point is, what is your problem? Whatever your problem, God is the solution. And the cross is going to be in the centre of that solution. We have been offered the gift of freedom. Freedom from sin, freedom from worry, freedom to enter God's promised land. Do you want that free gift? Have you accepted that free gift? Does your life show you have accepted that gift? It is yours. But you need to take it, hold on to it, and act upon it. Amen.